Let's bow our hearts together in prayer, shall we? Lord Jesus Christ, uh, worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive uh, riches and wisdom and strength and honor and power and glory. Unto your name this morning, O Lord, be praise. Uh, to no other besides you, you are matchless in your majesty. You, Lord, are great in your wisdom. Your salvation is uh, extraordinary and the joy and privilege of belonging to you is a wonder of wonders that we never get over. And thank you now that you are the living one and therefore you continue to speak. Thank you that you are the living word and the Bible is the written word. And the written word points us to the living word that we might not only know him, be saved by him, but walk in his strength and in his power and his direction and his guidance. And we ask for that now as we seek by your spirit to understand your truth. We pray these things in Jesus' all-overcoming name. Amen. One morning, Los Angeles police officer Bob Vernon took off after a speeder who had run a stop sign. What he didn't know is the driver had just robbed a store. And there in the seat next to him was a bag of money and a handgun. And so as Officer Vernon approached the pulled-over car, he said, Good morning, sir. May I see your... And he never finished the sentence. The driver pointed a pistol at him just in inches away and pulled the trigger. The blast was so direct and so close that it knocked Officer Vernon flat seven feet away. Seconds later, he stood up. Shocking the crook, pulled his revolver and fired twice. The first shot went through the windshield. The second shot went through the door of the car, hitting the criminal in his left leg. He shouted out, don't shoot, threw the money and the handgun out the window and surrendered. Now, every police officer here this morning knows what saved Officer Vernon's life. It was dozens of layers of Kevlar. Kevlar. The super strong fabric in bulletproof vests. And three-eighths of an inch thick, Kevlar can stop handguns cold. Now, as I read that story, I thought to myself, wouldn't it be nice if we had a bulletproof vest to protect us in our battle with Satan? Wouldn't that be wonderful? Well, what's the truth? We do. We do. If you are a Christian here this morning, you've been given a bulletproof vest. It is not made of Kevlar. It is made of righteousness. And it is called the breastplate of righteousness. And it can stop Satan's missiles cold. So what's the question this morning for us? Are we using it, right? Are we using it? 
Kevlar only did Officer Vernon good that morning because he was using his bulletproof vest. And the breastplate of righteousness will only do us any good if we are using it. And so this morning, as we come back to our series on the whole armor of God, we are going to look at the breastplate of righteousness this morning. And the question for us is how do we use this bulletproof vest that God has provided for us. I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me again to Ephesians chapter 6. And I want to read verses 13 to 14 as we begin the message this morning. And we're going to focus in on that second phrase in verse 14. And notice here what God's Word says to us. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, we want to do three things in the message this morning. Number one, we want to look at the importance of the breastplate for Roman soldiers. Number two, we want to see what does the Bible say is the meaning of the breastplate for those of us who are Christians, and then because application is always the final process in studying God's Word, we want to see how do we apply this to our walk as Christians. And so let's begin with the importance of the soldier's breastplate. When it talks here about the breastplate of righteousness, the word breastplate actually is the Greek word from which we get our word, our medical word, thorax. We all know the thorax is the chest cavity. And the breastplate for a Roman soldier was somewhat like a baseball catcher's chest protector. It covered the, covered the, the body from the neck actually all the way down to the thighs. Uh, the breastplate was known as a cuirass or a coat of mail. And the reason it was called that is because it was made of metal plates overlapping one another, very much like the scales of a fish. It also had a back piece as well as a front piece because sword thrusts could come from any angle. Now here's the key consideration about this breastplate. It was the most important piece of defensive armor. That's how critical this was. It protected a soldier from a sword, a spear, or an arrow. If you've seen movies where ancient armies let fly a volley of arrows, you know any opposing soldier without a breastplate was a sitting duck. And they would fall immediately when they were hit. So the breastplate protected all the vital organs, especially the heart. In fact, the breastplate had a nickname. Soldiers called it the heart protector because it protected the most vital organ in the chest, the heart. And how significant is this? The Bible says it's from the heart that all the issues of life flow. All the issues of your life and my life flow from our heart. And the breastplate protects the heart. Well now, understanding the importance of this defensive piece of armor, let's look at the meaning 
of the breastplate for you and me. What does this mean spiritually in our life? And I want to give you two aspects of the breastplate of righteousness. Number one, it refers to positional righteousness, our justification. It refers to positional righteousness, our justification as a Christian. I want you to turn back with me for just a moment to Isaiah chapter 59. And I want you to look with me at verses 16, 17, and 20 because Paul in Ephesians 6 is drawing on the Lord's image of himself in Isaiah as a savior who redeems people. And I want you to notice who's the very first one who puts on a breastplate of righteousness. It's God himself. Look at verse 16 of Isaiah 59. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation, and his righteousness upheld him. Now notice this. He put on righteousness as a breastplate, and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing, and wrapping himself in zeal as a cloak, and then drop down to verse 20, and a redeemer will come to Zion to those in Jacob who turn from transgression, declares the Lord. Now notice what God saw in this text. No man was righteous enough to intercede for others. And so God's own arm brought salvation. He put on righteousness as a breastplate, a helmet of salvation on his head, and he sent a redeemer to those who would turn from transgression and put their trust in him. And of course we know that redeemer is Jesus Christ. He's the one who gives every believer a righteous position with God that we lack on our own and we call that justification. Christ has purchased us by paying sin's price. He has removed the barrier between us and God. And now God, the judge of all, declares that every believer is right with him, innocent in his sight, and he gives us salvation. This is absolutely foundational to any Christian living because it puts us in a right relationship with God as his children. So the first aspect of this breastplate of righteousness is our positional righteousness. But I want you to notice there's also a second aspect. It is our practical righteousness. We call that sanctification. It is our practical righteousness. We call that sanctification. Now righteousness, as a word, is only found two other times in Ephesians. Both times it refers to righteous living, our practice. Look again at Ephesians. Look at chapter 4. And I want you to notice verse 24 and how the word righteousness is used here. Look at what it says. Speaking to Christians, put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. Now that is a reference clearly to practical Christian living. 
where we become in practice what God declares we are in position. And so this is the second aspect of the breastplate of righteousness, our positional righteousness, justification, but now our practical righteousness, sanctification. There was a pastor during the Protestant Reformation by the name of Ulrich Zwingli. He was a personal friend of Martin Luther. And I want you to listen to what Pastor Zwingli said. He said, our confidence in Christ does not make us lazy, negligent, or careless. But on the contrary, it awakens us, urges us on, and makes us active in living righteous lives and doing good. There is no self-confidence to compare with this. And Pastor Zwingli was absolutely right. Now put these two things together in our experience as believers. Our position in Christ makes us confident. We can stand before the Lord and we can say, I'm saved. I'm secure. I'm accepted in Christ's righteousness. It's early this morning, but that's worth an amen. But then, our practice in Christ makes us active. We say now, I'm going to seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, as Jesus told us to do in the Sermon on the Mount. So when these two come together, the confidence of our position in Christ and the action of our practice in Christ, we are wearing the breastplate of righteousness. Now this is so very important that it has huge ramifications for our life. And this morning, we need to look at those ramifications. We need to move now, thirdly, to the application of the breastplate to Christian living. And this morning, I want to bring three applications, and I trust that you will take them very, very close to your heart because they are so very significant if you are to wear this piece of armor. Number one, a righteous life is a powerful defense against Satan. A righteous life is a powerful defense against Satan. On his first missionary journey, uh, the Apostle Paul met a magician by the name of Elymas. And Elymas opposed the gospel vigorously. In Acts 13.10, we just studied this chapter a few weeks ago on Tuesday morning, Here's what Paul said to Elymas as he confronted him. He said, you son of the devil, enemy of all righteousness, full of deceit and villainy, how long will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? 
Notice what Paul said. To be a son of the devil is to be the enemy of all righteousness. Now if we say, why is that? Well, look again here at Ephesians 4, 24. It says as Christians, we have been recreated after the likeness of Christ. After the likeness of God. It says that likeness is created in true righteousness and holiness. Those are the characteristics of the likeness of God in his children. Now Satan's consuming passion is the hatred of God, so he opposes whatever makes us like God. Satan's consuming passion is the hatred of God, so he opposes whatever makes you, whatever makes me, like God. It's interesting, studying for this message this week, I learned something about the German word for holy. The German word for holy is helig. And it not only means holy in German, it also means healthy. Isn't that interesting? You could not get any better better definition of what holy really is than healthy, completely, spiritually, healthy. Listen to how Pastor A.W. Tozer explains this. Listen to his words. God is holy, and holiness is the moral condition necessary to the health of his universe. Whatever is holy is healthy. The holiness of God and the health of creation are inseparably united. Now, we all know Satan does not want us to be spiritually healthy, right, this morning? So, therefore, he is the enemy of all righteousness. Here's what this means. The more righteous we are, the more powerful we are against Satan. The more righteous we are, the more powerful we are against Satan. Somebody has said this, a holy person is an awesome weapon in the hands of God. Think about the powerful Christians that you know. Think about the Christians you know and and I know who have a powerful influence for the Lord without exception. They are righteous people. They are holy people. It is their holy lives that make them an awesome weapon in the hand of God. And so it is very clear, a righteous life is a powerful defense against Satan. 
Here's the second application. Number two. Satan's scheme is to divide our practice from our position. Satan's scheme is to divide our practice from our position. Now, do you know what careless Christians think? They think that we can be justified but not sanctified. They separate the two. Did you know that is a false teaching? It is a deadly error. Turn with me in your Bibles for just a moment to 1 John chapter 3, and I want you to notice these very important words in verse 7. 1 John chapter 3, and notice verses 7 and 8. Little children, he says, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he that is God is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. The Apostle John was the pastor of the Ephesian Christians near the end of his life, the very ones Paul was speaking to about the armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6. And here's what happened. False teachers had infiltrated the Ephesian church, and they were claiming that sin is only ignorance. So sin is a lack of knowledge. It has nothing to do with our moral or our ethical behavior. Here's what the false teachers were saying. You can separate your practice from your position. You can be positionally righteous, but practically unrighteous. Who is behind that kind of thinking, according to John? The devil. Three times in verse 8, so we will not miss it, John says the devil is behind that kind of thinking. It's the devil's game. It's the devil's trap. Tony Campolo, who grew up and lived in Philadelphia, said one day in that city he was robbed. And while he was being robbed, he said to the thief, I'm a Baptist minister. And the thief said to him, really? I'm a Baptist too. <laughs> One day I was buying a piece of furniture and a furniture store. The sales lady said to me, what do you do? I said, I'm a Baptist pastor. She said, my husband left me for someone who is a Baptist.
How do you get there? How do you get there? A Baptist thief? A Baptist robber? A Baptist home wrecker? How do you get there? Well, you divide your practice from your position. And once that thinking filters into your mind, you become lenient, lazy, tolerant, and weak. And instead of being an awesome weapon in the hand of God, we are a weakened weapon. Now that then leads to the third application, number three. The breastplate of righteousness is working when our practice matches our position. The breastplate of righteousness is working when our practice matches our position. You see, it's not really hard for us to discern. How do I know that I have the breastplate on? How do you know that you have the breastplate on? Here's the answer. Is our practice matching our position? Turn over to 1 John 5 and notice with me verse 18. And look at what the apostle says. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who was born of God protects him. And the evil one does not touch him. Now here is somebody who has on the breastplate of righteousness. They do not keep on sinning carelessly or care freely. The result, says John, is the evil one is not able to touch that person. And we say, why? And John's answer is, because God protects that person. And if we ask, well, how does God do that? Look down at verse 20, and notice what verse 20 says. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true, and we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. See, how does God protect us? Well, the Son of God lives in us. He has given us understanding. And when Christ is working in us in this faction, when we are cultivating His work in us, then verse 21 is the normal result. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. 
So you see how this works? When the breastplate of righteousness is on, the evil one can't touch us. The reason he can't touch us is God is protecting us. And the way God protects us is Christ working in us. And when Christ is working in us, the breastplate of righteousness is firmly on. Pastor Ed Dobson was a very well-known and useful pastor of a very large church in Grand Rapids. One Sunday, he stood in the pulpit and he said to his congregation, I have written a letter to God. I've sealed it. And I've put it in my desk drawer. What was in that letter? Well, let me read it for you. Wrote Pastor Dobson to God, Lord, if I ever might be unfaithful to my wife and bring disgrace to your name, take my life before I sin. There was a man serious about the breastplate of righteousness. And when he died of Lou Gehrig's disease, he had lived a righteous life all the way to the end. Oswald Chambers made a comment that is very important for us. He said, it's quite true to say, I can't live a holy life, but you can decide to let Jesus make you holy. Holiness is not the way to Christ, but Christ is the way to holiness. And when He is making you holy, making me holy, we will wrestle, fight, and strive with all of our might to wear the breastplate of righteousness. And God will make us an awesome weapon in his hand. And I don't know any Christian who would covet anything less than being an awesome weapon in the hand of God. Let's ask him, shall we? to help us put on that breastplate. Please pray with me. Oh God, 
We are before you today as your children. We confess to you that we cannot live a holy life. But we can allow Jesus to make us holy. And we know the scheme of Satan today. It is to divide our practice from our position so that we become lenient, lazy, tolerant, and weak. But Lord, through Christ Jesus, you have given us understanding. You have recreated us into your very nature. As we walk with Christ, learn about him, yield to him, obey him. The very righteousness and holiness of God protects us so that Satan can't touch us. O oh, gracious Lord, help us today to apply these truths to our lives that we might be the men and women you recreated us to be. How we love you and thank you today. For Jesus' sake, amen.